Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where we create and launch new SaaS startups using only predictive tech suggestions from our smartphones. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale from seven figures, which is good, to eight and nine figures, which is outstanding. We supercharge revenue growth, create premium valuation, and craft a business you're proud of and a life of impact and freedom that you absolutely love. Summertime. My favorite season, and we're approaching two days of special significance here in the States. The first is this Sunday, and it's Father's Day. So if you didn't remember, this is your reminder. Don't forget, it's a day to honor the paternal figures in our lives. Some biological, some we adopt, and some we just look up to. But no matter how, they are beacons of guidance, wisdom, and often unconditional love. Fathers wear many hats. They're protectors, role models, and often our biggest cheerleaders. They're the architects who provide the blueprint for life, the compass that guides us when we're lost, and the safe harbor in the turbulent seas of life. And their influence is immeasurable and their role absolutely invaluable. Now, certainly not naive enough to think that that is descriptive of everyone's experience. I mean, maybe you had a great father and you're like, yeah, that's, that's me. Uh, or father figures. You know, maybe it wasn't biological. Maybe it's somebody that you looked up to and really filled that role for you. Or maybe you didn't. Or maybe you had none at all. Uh, but this is your opportunity, your challenge to be that going forward. Fatherhood isn't merely a title or determined by biology. It's a commitment to look after the well-being of others. I mean, it's about leading by example, nurturing with patience, and teaching with wisdom. It's about being a pillar of strength and a fountain of comfort. So on Father's Day, we celebrate and acknowledge those remarkable individuals who, in their unique ways, have shaped our lives. In the spirit of reflection, let's also remember another significant day in June, which is Monday, the day after Father's Day, which is Juneteenth or Emancipation Day. It's a poignant reminder of the enduring struggle for freedom and equality. As we honor the sacrifice and resilience of those who fought for liberation, civil rights, and opportunity, we're reminded of the universal learning for freedom that unites us all. Fathers in their own way play a part in this narrative, a big part. They work towards creating a world of opportunities for their children, a world where they're free to dream, free to grow, free to become who they aspire to be. Free at last, free at last. Now, this weekend is an ideal time to reflect on the lessons we've learned from our fathers or father figures. And let's honor the influence and cherish their sacrifices at the same time Let's remember the timeless values of freedom and equality and strive to uphold them in our daily lives. To fathers, to freedom, and to a future where everyone enjoys the right to dream and thrive. Together, we can make a difference and together, we can create that future. Today's episode is sponsored by the book, Small Fish, Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business that Swim Circles Around Competitors. So why do some SaaS companies achieve explosive growth while others sink into the depths? Why do some solutions inspire fierce brand loyalty while others are just interchangeable? And what can we as SaaS leaders learn from fish? Small Fish Big Pond delivers powerful marketing and leadership lessons guaranteed to enhance your marketing message, wrap value around your clients, and guide their buying journey to conclude that your company is the only solution for them. Include step-by-step frameworks and time-tested growth tools to attract ideal clients, convert them, and transform them into brand ambassadors. So pick up the print, ebook, or audio today at smallfishbigpond.com or your favorite bookstores, wherever that may be. Our founder on Tuesday was Nina Suri. She is founder and CEO of Zappa AI, the SaaS platform that leverages AI to assist organizations in streamlining their hiring processes while eliminating bias, including unconscious bias. Very cool. And she also talked about her AI-powered SaaS called Empower, which is an AI-powered platform for companies to hire, develop, and retain neurodivergent talent. Again, brilliant use cases for AI, and Nina is such a powerful leader. 
Our guest on the Sassville Export Series a week ago was Phil Alvis, CEO and Principal Consultant at DevSquad. Phil led the build of over 100 SaaS products and led multiple clients to multi-million dollar exits along the way. Amazing insights from Phil. I mean, he's just a wealth of knowledge. I mean, 100 products. You learn a thing or two along the way. If you missed either of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest this week is Aaron Zakowski, CEO of Zamo Digital, a marketing agency helping B2B SaaS companies grow revenue with LinkedIn, Facebook, and Google Ads. He is the host of SaaS Marketing Superstars podcast. Welcome an exceptional founder from Los Angeles with a thriving business, podcast, wife, and six kids. Perfect guest coming up to Father's Day. Meet Aaron Zakowski. Hey, Aaron. Welcome to SaaS Fuel. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Happy to be here. Well, I'd love to hear about your journey into the world of digital marketing and specifically for SaaS. Yeah, certainly. Um, I guess my... Background goes back about 15 years. So before I got into digital marketing, I was actually an accountant. I was an auditor at Deloitte, working on uh, you know off Wall Street with those types of companies. Um, and at a certain point, I actually I moved to Israel and I took a job as a CFO of an e-commerce company. And then just kind of like led me down the path of, uh, of internet marketing. And you know this was back around 2006, 2007. And um, one thing led to another, just fell in love with internet marketing, started doing a bunch of affiliate and SEO stuff back in the day, kind of, you know, got into doing some consulting, was really early on doing Facebook ads, um, kind of got pegged as a Facebook ads guy pretty early on. I think it was one of the first people doing it and blogging about it back as far back as like, you know, 2009, 2010, um, and just been enjoying the ride ever since, um, focusing on Facebook ads for a long time, um, and then kind of made the shift into SaaS specific Probably around 2014, 2015, um, thanks to a, um, an outreach from a gentleman named Clark Valberg, who turned out to be the CEO and co-founder of InVision, which I'm guessing many people have heard of. Yes, um, yes. Ultimately, Clark hired me to run ads for InVision. We ran other ads for about two and a half years. And um, during that time, had you know a lot of fun, helped them grow quite a bit. But it opened a lot of doors just kind of getting me into other SaaS companies. And you know, since that point, been growing my my agency, Digital uh, Zambo Digital, um, for the last seven years or so, and just really helping to work with about uh, you know 100 plus B two B SaaS companies since then, running paid social ads. That's fantastic, and I love the background that it's not just a traditional marketing background, but you have the finance in there. And has that served you and your clients well um, to to really have a good understanding of the financial side of the house as well? I mean, hundred percent. It was interesting, you know, when I was getting into accounting back, you know, quite a long time ago. One of my mentors told me, you know, that that accounting and finance would be the backbone backbone of anything I ever do in business, whether that's marketing, running my own business, working for somebody else, it didn't matter. And I've definitely found that to be the truth. So A, I think it's understanding numbers. I'm a bit of an Excel geek. So, you know, there's nothing I like more than taking our ad data, you know, throwing it into Excel, running some pivot tables and just kind of seeing what story the data can tell me. But it also has given me a focus on on revenue as opposed to just, you know, all the other marketing metrics of impressions and views and clicks and, and even leads, which is to some extent, you know, really not, you know, the main goal most companies have, you know, we're, we're focused on revenue. So I think the, the accounting and data background, you know, helps me to really focus on, on what can we do to drive revenue, not just some of those other, you know, vanity metrics that don't really move the needle for a company. Right, right. How do you know what a vanity metric is versus something that really matters? And how do you determine one or the other? I mean, ultimately, I would look at it as, you know, just like start at the bottom of the funnel. You know, something, something at the bottom of the funnel matters the most. And that's generally going to be, you know, sales and, and revenue, right? You know, above that, you might have, you know, qualified sales or, or meetings booked or also a pretty important KPI over there. You know, as us running ads, we can't close the deal. But if we're generating the right type of leads, they're ultimately, you know, sales qualified, they're booking meetings with the sales team, you know, then we rely on, you know, it's up ultimately up to our, our, our clients to be able to close those deals, right? Um, and then as you move up that funnel, you know, when you get things, you know, Leads are a pretty good indicator of success on an ad campaign. But, you know, if you're just getting leads and they're not closing, then doesn't mean a whole lot. And then obviously you move farther up, you know, whether it's, you know, clicks on your ad, views on your ad, you know, impressions of your ad. Those are all nice. And you want to look at them just to kind of measure the health of an ad campaign. But ultimately, you know, impressions, clicks, et cetera, you know, they're, they're not actually driving uh, business goals and, and outcomes for you. So how do you know if you have the, the right leads and kind of the age old uh, controversy between sales and marketing? Marketing is producing leads and sales saying, I can't close any of these. And marketing is saying, hey, I'm, I'm producing all these leads and, and sales is terrible because they can't close anything. How sure. do you know where the, the problem I, is? I mean, ultimately, you know, even as a, as a marketer, 
I'm going to say, you know, sales is going to have the final say over there because at the end of the day, like, like I said before, the goal in any ad campaign that you're running is going to be to drive sales. And if it's not driving sales, then ultimately it's not accomplishing its goal. Now, sometimes it could be, you know, perfect leads and maybe the sales team just isn't closing them. And, you know, well, then that's on the sales team, right? But if the sales team tells us that, you know, hey, we're doing everything we can to sell to these leads and, and they're not qualified, they're not a good fit, whatever the case might be, well, then we're not getting the right leads, right? For our, for our customers. So ultimately, you know, we want to make sure that we're generating good volume of leads at the right cost. But more importantly, we want to make sure with all of our clients that we're in close communication with, you know, some somebody on the sales team or, a, or else a, a liaison who's talking to the sales team to help us get that feedback to say, hey, these are good leads. Or even better, if we can have a, a vision into, into our client's CRM, typically most of our clients are working on something like HubSpot, then give us access. Let us see, you know, where's the field that you guys are using to qualify leads and as they move through the pipeline. And then hopefully we'll be, you know, in almost all cases, tracking UTM data from our ad campaigns into the CRM. So then we can see and sort on, well, which campaigns, which audiences, which ad creatives, et cetera, are actually driving the most outcomes farther down, down the funnel. Um, and then that informs our decision-making to make sure that we're iterating on the best creative and allocating budget to the places that are going to make the biggest impact where sales is happy and management is happy and the board is happy and everybody's, you know, enjoying the process. I like that. Has attribution become more difficult over the years or is it easier now than it was before? I mean, attribution is definitely more complicated than it was before. Um, it's, it's still there. We could definitely still track things. So everyone knows, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, iOS 14 rolled out right. and, and, you know, pixels start to go away. And, and certainly Facebook's data is a little best, a little bit less reliable than it was once upon a time. Um, and that, that's frustrating and that's hard sometimes, but, you know, it makes it just more important to us that, you know, we just have to work a little bit harder and make sure that we're tracking through things through to the, uh, you know, the ultimate, you know, truth in the data is going to happen in the CRM. So, Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever the ad platform might be, might be saying a certain number of leads that came through. Um, and we want to make sure that number matches to what this actually showing up in the CRM. But at the end of the day, if there's a discrepancy there, which sometimes there is, we're sure. going to trust the CRM. And, you know, assuming we've got all of our plumbing worked out and we know that every lead's showing up in the CRM, which is typically the case, right? Um, but ultimately that's going to be the, the source of truth is the CRM. And we want to just, like I said, make sure that all the UTM data associated with our campaigns and everything is being captured into that CRM. So the end of, you know, once a week, once every two weeks, once every month, depending on what the appropriate time frame is for different, a certain client, you know, we're going to want to compare that data. So we're going to export all those leads that came in from, from the time period out of HubSpot or whatever CRM it might be. Uh, we're going to run a, a pivot table so we can see, you know, on a, campaign level on an audience level, et cetera, how many leads came in at each and, and moved down to each different point within the pipeline. And then we're going to take our, do the same thing with our, our ad campaign data, let's say out of Facebook. And we're going to take all of our costs, take up our campaigns, um, and then sort that down to, well, how much was spent on each of those campaigns and match it up to the, to the CRM data, right? And figure out, okay, we spent, you know, $5,000 in this campaign and it drove 20 leads. So, you know, whatever that cost per lead is. And this one, you know, had, you know, whatever spend and, and drove, this many meetings. So we're going to figure it out. And ultimately what we want to figure out is, you know, well, on each campaign level, comparing the ad spend together with the CRM outcomes, you know, what was our cost per, per meeting, per sale, per lead, et cetera, on all those things. Um, and the true attribution comes from the capturing of those UTMs. You know, there might be a point where like Chrome starts eliminating our, our UTM data. I don't think that's likely to happen anytime soon, but you know, you never know. But sure. you know, ultimately that's where we, we create our, our source of truth within that attribution. But, you know, certainly there's an element of, you know, building branding and engagement and things like that where people don't click. Right. And, right. you know, they, they, they watch a video ad and, and they engage or or they click the ad. They don't convert. And then they go and they Google you and then they join your email list and then they click on an email two weeks later. And this whole circuitous route that we know is really the true, I think, buying cycle that most B2B buyers go through. Right. Um, and, and in many cases, that type of attribution gets really messy. Right. So it's one of the reasons why we want to make sure that the... The UTM data is at least on a first touch and last touch basis, you know, going to be tracked within, within the CRM. But there's a whole lot of pieces in there that get that impact that you just can't, you can't, um, you can't attribute properly. But, you know, the marketing team, the executive team, et cetera, just has to have, you know, a good sense and, and trust their gut to say like, you know, we know we can't tra track this, but we, we know it's having an impact and we should keep doing it. 
you know, podcasting or something like that. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You don't always know where it comes from. And then that may be something that you ask them in the process or in the the conversion process. How did you hear about us? Yeah. So I think it's really important actually to ask that question, whether it's, you know, as a, as a final question in a form when you're capturing lead or, you know, maybe one of the first questions as a sales process, when you actually get somebody on the phone, like where did you find, find us? And uh, oftentimes you'll be surprised by the answer. It isn't what you thought. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I love it when the answer is, I don't know. I, I, I see you everywhere. I mean, that's, that's just the, the perfect answer. That's the perfect answer. That means yeah. you're doing something right. 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 Or they'll, they'll say, you know, I see you everywhere, but then they'll say something specific that resonated with him. It might not be the first touch, but it's the mm-hmm. thing that they remember and stuck with them. Right. And so I think that's always interesting to think about just in content of, Oh, that really stuck out to you. Why is that? What is yeah. it about that? And how can we go do more of it? Yeah. And, and understanding from, from, from the leads, from the customers and clients, you know, what are those points that had an impact on them in their own words and recognizing that, that, that touch point might not have been attributable, but understanding from, from that, from that feedback that that's important. And we need to double down and do more of that. And hopefully right. after you talk to with more and more people, you start noticing patterns that, that, that come up um, and understanding where should be investing more time and resources. Yeah, I think that always happens where you see patterns uh, either, you know, as, as humans we do or in the data. Right. So that's always interesting. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple different platforms, B2B SaaS. What platform should we be on? You know, is LinkedIn better? Is Facebook better? Instagram, YouTube? I and mean, where do we put marketing dollars these days? What's better? That, that is a great question. Uh, it's hard to say what's better. I think, you know, what's better depends on the company and the market and your sure. TV, et cetera. Right. So we'll put it this way. LinkedIn is typically going to be the obvious first thought that most people have when they think about B2B and with good reason, right? They've got incredible targeting. That's really, you know, based on firmographics and demographics and based on individuals and all those types of things. Um, but honestly, we've found over the past couple of years and including, you know, very recently this month that meta Facebook, Instagram, you know, could work, you know, extremely well also at driving, you know, revenue leads, you know, everything we need, both to smaller companies as well as to, you know, larger companies that are targeting, you know, small, medium enterprise, you know, $10 million revenue plus companies with high ticket, you know, you know, five figure contracts as well. And, and we, we've been, been in the past year, I think we drove, you know, $4 million in ARR on, on Facebook and Instagram alone for one of our clients that's selling an $84,000 a year contract value. So it definitely works. Um, I would say that if you've got a smaller LTV product, you know, it's maybe, $500. It's a couple thousand dollars in terms of LTV. Facebook is probably going to be more the direction to go because generally you can get a lower cost lead over there. Um, I think there's also an element of um, what's the total addressable market. If you're working with small, if your target customer ultimately is, is small companies, um, it's got a really big number of companies you can go after. Again, Facebook, Instagram is probably the place to go. Um, one of the things we're noticing lately, Facebook itself is not performing quite as well, but Instagram is actually doing better. So they're obviously part of the same platform. And most of the times we want to start off by, you know, letting the algorithm decide where do we want to give the impressions, including both Facebook and Instagram together. But it's important to make sure that in your UTMs, you're dynamically inserting Facebook or Instagram and capturing that data in the CRM, like we spoke about before. So then you can work back and say, well, which one of these platforms within Meta is actually performing better? And one of the things we've been noticing lately is Instagram tends to be outperforming Facebook in a lot of cases, although not all the time, which is why it's just important to test everything. Um, you know, a lot of people feel like Facebook is dying. And my personal feeling is probably a little bit on the decline. I know my personal usage of Facebook is definitely down from what it might have been a year or two ago. But, you know, at least for myself, and I think many other people I've been speaking to, that time is, you know, there's some on TikTok and other platforms, something like that, but it's kind of switched to Instagram which is still just part of the meta platform. So from my point of view, it just really doesn't matter. You know, they're, they're still on the meta ad platform and we're in places where we can reach them. And that works really well. Um, no, that's good. On the LinkedIn side, you know, to continue, you know, the answer of what's the right platform. Um, I think for LinkedIn, because things tend to be a little bit more expensive, at least on a CPM basis, on a cost per click basis, um, it, um, it tends to be for higher LTV products. So typically if you, I'd like to see, you know, at least a $10,000 LTV or more before we're going to start running something on, on LinkedIn ads. But, um, but again, over there, it could work really well. It's also doesn't tend to be a direct response platform quite as much. So one thing we've noticed is that, you know, on, on Facebook, we can send people to a landing page and they're going to read that and they're going to convert in many cases, but that doesn't really work quite as well on LinkedIn. When you try and take a, a LinkedIn person and, and send them, you know, direct response straight to a landing page, sign up for a lead, it just doesn't convert terribly well. 
right? Although native forms within uh, within LinkedIn do tend to do much better, but you know there, there's trade offs in, in doing that again. But again, LinkedIn ads, if you've got you know a a higher a larger company you're going after, we'll say, you know, if you've got specific positions within that company that you're going after. Um, and like I said, if you've got a higher LTV product that you're selling, then uh, LinkedIn is, is usually a great way to go. I like that. Is there a different quality of leads that you get from one platform than another? Yeah, great question. Um, it's different leads. It's hard to say different quality of leads because it, it's, it's apples and oranges to some extent. So, okay. So on, on about that. LinkedIn, the thing that I really like about it and where I think, you know, most people really succeed is that you know that the lead you're going to generate off of LinkedIn is typically going to be qualified from the point of view of, you know, right person at the right company, right? Because you can target ads at companies at, at certain revenue numbers, at certain employee counts, at certain industries, et cetera, um, and job functions, job titles, skills, you know, groups they're in, et cetera. You know, the person you're getting is the right person, but because lead forms tend to be the best performing uh, strategy, we'll call it over there. Um, most people are clicking on an ad, filling out a form, never actually visiting your website. So, so they've signed up and it is the right person, but they haven't seen that much. Their intent might not be super high, right? So getting those people onto meetings is a challenge. And, and we can talk about what are some techniques for getting those people onto meetings to make sure that you're actually closing revenue. On the Facebook side, and by Facebook, I mean Facebook and Instagram together, um, it acts a little bit differently. We've actually found much better success sending people to landing pages. The, the lead forms inside of, of Meta tend to be kind of garbage for B2B from, from our experience. You know, they work well for a lot of small businesses and things like that. But, you know, in our experience right. for, for these types of B2B and SaaS offers, they just don't work as well. But because people will generally go to a landing page, read the page, engage, you know, consume some of your content and then sign up, the leads that come through are more likely to book a call and talk to your sales team. But with the caveat that they aren't always as qualified from the point of being the right person at the right company. You tend to get more small companies coming through, um, people that might not necessarily be the right person within that company. But you know, you are able to get calls through. You have to weed out the quality from the unqualified when you're doing that. So it really helps you have a sales team that's going to be dedicated to that process. And it's not that time consuming. It's just another step in the process there. But ultimately, when you do that, like I said before, we've seen our clients have tremendous revenue driving from that situation, even with you know high five-figure annual contract values. And that's something you could do some lead qualification on the landing page as well. Is that something sure. that you so, guys so do? We do usually try and, especially when we're using a landing page, um, have at least one qualifying question. We all know that as you add more fields onto your form, you're going to you know hurt your conversion rate every time. But of nevertheless, it, it is pretty important to have at least one qualifying question in there that doesn't create too much friction. Typically, you want it to be you know like a multiple multiple choice question, so they don't have to sit and think too much about it. Um, and then that kind of weeds things out. And one of the interesting things we've actually seen lately, um, maybe about a year ago, uh, Facebook rolled out for us um, what they call B two B targeting, where essentially it's targeting people based on estimated company size. So there, there's three tiers that they actually offer us right now. So it, it's people with um, 10 to 50 employees, sorry, 50 to 100 employees. I take that back. It's 10 to 50 employees, 50 to 200 employees, 200 to 500 and 500 plus. I think I messed that up, but there's a couple of tiers over there that you can do company sizes. Um, and nice. we found that when, when, we, when we layer those in, uh, we actually are able to get much larger companies. So for example, one of the companies that we're, we're marketing for right now, we have a, a um, qualifying question on the landing page that we're using, which actually asks about your company size, right? Um, and we found that of the people, you know, we're generating about a hundred leads for the landing page every, every month. And about a third of them are indicating they are 200 plus employees. Um, and then about another third, or about 50 to 200 employees are the, all the people filling out that landing page, which, which is pretty significant considering that that's, that's primarily Facebook, Instagram traffic, and it's 50 plus and 200 plus employees um, that are actually filling that out. So they're, they're pretty qualified people you get if you just kind of know the right, the right settings to use over there. And is that something, do you aggregate data among clients to, to be able to kind of build an intelligence database to know how to target or is um, it individual? We, we haven't aggregated the data to, to kind of uh, put together that kind of data yet. It'd probably be a, a pretty fun exercise for us to do, but we have worked with over a hundred, you know, B2B and SaaS companies sure. over the past couple of years. So we've got a pretty good set of data and just experience to be able to figure out what's working, what's not working. I think that's really helpful. Just having that experience and you know, what's working now, you're yeah. not, uh, you know, relying on, you know, what used to work two or three years ago or right. 10 years ago. 
and, and also just having the perspective of running multiple campaigns at any given time, as opposed to, you know, media buyer who might be working internally at a company. They've got their one account, one ad account. They might not necessarily be aware of the trends that are happening at any given time. But by the fact that we're working in multiple accounts at, at, at one time, all generally within the B2B SaaS space, we kind of get a sense for trends, whether it's what creatives are working, where are CPMs going, um, how are people engaging with ads and any number of other variables that are going on at any given time. Oh, that's really, really good. So you have, you know, real time tasks going all the time. I mean, even within a company. Yeah, hundred percent. So we're, we're, we're always testing with every client every week. So there's, there's a lot of tests going on. So how do you know if an ad is working or not, or how soon do you know that? And so you're able to make adjustments. Sure. Um, so figuring out something's not working is typically the easiest thing. Um, and, and one of the ways we could do that is we can kind of benchmark, you know, we look at a, a successful ad and we understand, um, well, a successful ad that did well and hit all of our KPIs, you know, might have had a certain, you know, cost per click and a certain, um, CTR click through rate, et cetera. Right. Um, and so we can look at certain new ads and tests that we do and say, well, did they get close to those thresholds for what we, we know good looks like, right? Was the click through rate, was the cost per click near what we expected to be for success? If it's a much lower click through rate or a much higher cost per click, we've got a pretty, pretty good indicator very early on that this isn't going to work. Right. Um, and then we can turn things off without spending too much money. But right. in a situation where click through rate strong, cost per click is strong, you know, we're going to want to let things run a little bit longer to see, you know, well, how, what ends up being our, our cost per lead. And then it comes down to, you know, well, let's say we're looking for a hundred dollar target cost per lead, let's say. So then we're going to want to spend at least $200, if not $300 on that campaign, just to see if we get any leads through. You don't want to turn it off too early. I mean, you can turn it off too early when we see those, those other, you know, cost per click, et cetera, like aren't anywhere sure. near where they need to be. But ultimately, if something's getting a good cost per click and, and engagement, and all of those other, you know, kind of vanity metrics, as, as we say, but if I, I use them to judge the health of a campaign and a new ad, then, um, then you just kind of got to let it run for a little while. And, and, you know, the amount of budget you need, you know, is kind of a multiple of what's your target cost per lead or whatever um, conversion event you're actually optimizing for. Um, so you want to give it, you know, probably at least three times your target cost per lead before you, before you turn something off. Um, okay. And if you've got one lead, you know, maybe you want to, you know, then allow it to do, you know, a five X once you've got one to see if you get another one. Cause it does take time. It's usually, use things usually don't like hit a home run right out of the bat. You know, it starts to get a couple and then it kind of warms up a little bit as the algorithm starts to understand what's working. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So one of the things that I've heard a few times is, well, you know, I've tried ads and they didn't work. What are things that you've seen that, that make ads work or, you know, why haven't they worked? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people run ads in-house and they try and give a platform a test. And to be honest, they usually give it to some junior marketer who's never run the platform before. Right. And they're going to read a lot. A lot. You would be surprised. How hard can it be? we an ad. Yeah. So, so how, how hard could it be? Right. So they read a couple of blog posts, they watch a couple of YouTube videos and they go and do it, but they've right. never had experience. And then they'll go and they'll run it with a relatively small budget. And a lot of the time what happens is just, there's just one, one or two rookie mistakes that they'll make. They'll check the wrong box. They'll do the wrong setting. They'll optimize for the wrong event and no fault of their own. They just don't have the experience. Right. Sure. Um, and, and so they, they spend a little bit of money. They run some ad, ad creatives. Maybe their ad creatives weren't really optimized that well. Maybe their calls to actions weren't very strong. Their offer wasn't very strong. Um, and it doesn't work. Right. So I think that's kind of the biggest mistake that a lot of companies get into. Yeah. Right. As opposed to, you know, coming from the beginning to, a freelancer, an agency, et cetera, that knows exactly what they're doing, that they've done this before. And, and not just that they've run ads before, but that they've specifically run ads for B2B and SaaS before, because it's very different than hiring an agency that's done a lot of, you know, local lead gen for, you know, plumbers and things like that, or they've done different Shopify stores. Those work very, very differently. And in many ways, those are much, much easier. You know, the, the running ads for B2B is a bit more complicated. And for many reasons, for what we said before is that leads aren't where things end. Right. You know, you need to optimize targeting is, is trickier because there aren't as obvious targeting opportunities for B2B in most cases, especially when you're trying to go for bigger companies with, with bigger, you know, LTV, et cetera, and, and bigger, um, conversion value, let's say. Um, but then you've got to, you know, capture a lead into your CRM and move that through. And, and like we said before, following through to make sure that your, your leads are ultimately turning into revenue and, and, and meaningful conversations. Yeah, that's good. And what are some things that have worked really well that uh, companies need to have in order for leads to be effective? I think the most important thing is, is that you've got the 
the follow-up in place. Um, okay. And by follow-up, you know, that, that means a couple of things. It's, it's having the content to warm up a cold lead. So a lot of the time, again, you, you've got to differentiate between, you know, when someone does a Google search, let's say, right? You know, they're coming with intent. They're searching for CRM software, right? So they do a search. They find a bunch of CRM softwares. They came to buy something. They, they're ready to buy, right? Easy sale, right? Very competitive on Google search, right. but, but easy sale once they come through as a lead, right? Versus on, on paid social, which is where we spend most of our time, um, there isn't intent yet. It's we're putting our ads in front of the right person, hopefully at the right company, who we believe would really benefit from the products that we're promoting, but they aren't necessarily looking for it right now. And we have to, our ad needs to capture their attention enough to get them to raise their hand, fill out a lead form and say, hey, I'm interested in this. But that's happening kind of while they're surfing on Instagram or while they're just kind of scrolling through LinkedIn and things like that. And they can almost forget about it after they filled out a form, right? I've so done ultimately, that, yeah. We've all been there, right? <laughs> uh, so, so ultimately, what we need to do is get that person onto the call because they, they did express some interest, right? So they did take the time right. to fill out that form and submit it. Even if it was a pre-populated form, they still decided to submit. So we need to do things like making sure you've got retargeting, um, retargeting all of your leads who have not yet closed. Um, you're going to want to target them with all kinds of content that will move them to know, like, and trust you. So by the time they fill their, their lead, they probably know you, but they don't necessarily like and trust you yet. So you're going to have retargeting content. And when I say retargeting, I, I primarily mean ads, but this can happen through email as well. Um, and it should be happening through both of those, those medium. Um, but you're going to want to think about hitting them with client testimonials, with case studies, with um, tutorials, with blog posts, with um, really anything you've got, awards you've won, you know, if you've got, you know, G2 awards, even though we all know those are kind of meaningless, but like buyers still like to see them, I think. Sure. Um, anything you've got that could build trust and build an affinity. If you've got people in your, in your company are happy being on, on camera, or even if they're not happy, but they're confident being on camera, you know, create those videos that just kind of show the face of your company, that, that allow them to connect with other people in your company culture. Those are all important pieces that you can do within retargeting um, to get people to, like we said, know, like, and trust you and ultimately understand why you're the best solution. And then the other part of that is, you know, making sure your sales team is, you know, aggressive but not over-aggressive in following up with those people, right? So one of the things that we've seen work really uh, successfully is, you know, when a lead comes through, obviously you make sure you email them right away and the automation can do that and, and you know, be as customized as possible. Um, if you can include, you know, a personalized video in that process, you know, using a, a tool like Bonjoro or something like that, you know, you could just, you know, have a sales team or have somebody in your team just, you know, film that 20, 30 second video just saying, hey, you know, so glad to see you sign up, you know, would love to, you know, get on a call with you and learn more. If you can, you know, take... 10 seconds to get on their website, pull one piece of information out so you can customize it a little bit. You know, one of the things that one of our clients is doing very successfully is, you know, when Pete is finding people's um, LinkedIn profile and then using automation with a tool called Expandy that for every lead that comes through, their CEO has automation to automatically connect with that person. Um, and then they're having a very high connect rate because they're mentioning in the connection request, hey, you just filled out a form over on our website. We'd love to connect and, you know, see how we can, can help you, right? And then as soon as that person connects, they have a message that hits them up inside their LinkedIn inbox, which is getting noticed a lot more than the regular email inbox. Um, that makes and sense. one other thing that we typically do is, you know, when we're using uh, LinkedIn lead forms, we'll actually make sure one of the pieces of data that we want to capture automatically is their LinkedIn profile URL. So that's automatically populated. They just have to hit submit and allow it to be transferred to us. And that makes it really easy then for us to go and have our clients connect with them and just have that one additional touch point um, to be able to, to follow up. And then other things people are doing, obviously, you know, if you're capturing a phone number, call them, text them. Um, in many cases, we, we choose not to ask for the phone number because it's a point of friction and most people don't want to be called. Um, right. But then you could use a tool like Apollo IO, right? And then you could take the lead information that you have, run it through Apollo, get the person's phone number, and then call them without having asked for it before. Maybe it's a little bit of a gray area that some people might like because they didn't submit it, but ultimately this person did submit a form to you and say they want to be in touch with you. So in my, in my mind, it's, um, it's fair game to be able to follow up with email even if you found it through, through other, other ways. Sure. Half the time, they probably wouldn't remember if they gave you a phone number or not. They just exactly. fill out the form. Exactly right. Yeah. And if there's value, I mean, none of us mind phone calls or text messages when there's value. What we don't want is more spam. And so I think yeah. that's really and, and I don't think it's spam. It's, it's you've reached out to this company. They're yeah. trying to give you good support and say, hey, you wanted this thing. We're trying to get it to you. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's a, definitely a positive experience. And then when we do that, then there's, there's usually not a lot of pushback of, you know, why right. are you calling me? Right. I, I think the important thing is you're using as, as many comfortable, casual, friendly ways to, to touch that person um, and hopefully finding the way that they're going to pay attention to you. 
um, and doing it as quickly as possible after that, that initial lead. Cause we all know that, that, that time to follow up is one of the most important things. Um, because, you know, within a day or two, if you haven't followed up, you know, it's almost too late. Right. They, they've already forgotten. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that definitely happens a lot. So what have you seen from a creative standpoint? What works on one platform? Is it the same for all of them or is it different across platforms? Yeah, so great question. Um, on the LinkedIn side, um, for direct response, if you're trying to get someone to fill out a form, we've generally found that using image ads works the best. If you're looking for engagement and branding, oftentimes we'll want to use like a video ad at the top of the funnel. Um, and then just get people to engage in that video to watch the, the video and then we can retarget them. And then the retargeting level is where we're going to the, retargeting the people watching the video. That's where we're actually going to have the offer and get people to convert on, on Facebook and Instagram. It, they both tend to work video and image really well. Um, one of the things we're, we're pushing a lot of clients towards now is using video in the sense of kind of that, that TikTok, you know, user generated content style video where, you know, you're kind of got someone on camera with the captions going across the bottom. If there's ways to iterate on that and make it more fun, you know, that's, that's harder for a lot of companies to create, but you know, it stands out. And one of the things we have to remember as, as marketers is that, you know, as we're trying to capture the attention of our target prospects on whatever social platform it might be, we're competing for attention with every other marketing message and everything else going on in somebody's day, you know, that, that's hitting them. And in terms of marketing messages, marketing messages, you know, there's data showing that, you know, the average American sees, you know, like thousands of marketing messages in the course of the day between logos and stories we drive past and all the things we see on sure. the internet. And, and you've got to stand out from that, right? So what can you do to be as engaging and attention grabbing as possible? So sometimes you know, a boring image isn't going to do the job, but creating the type of video style that they're enjoying to watch on, on TikTok or their Instagram reels or something like that, that type of content is what's going to stand out. Now, ultimately, we do see that, that images can still work. But again, the most important thing is to make sure that you're being as relevant as possible because relevancy is probably the most attention grabbing thing there is. So yes, we want to have bright colors and things like that. But oftentimes in B2B, what's worked the most historically and, and kind of still true today is an image with just big, bold text on it. So it's like as you're scrolling through your feed, like you're just, you're going to see it because you kind of give everything that split second consideration as it goes through your right. feed. And if the text is big and clear and, and feels relevant to you, you're going to stop, even if it's a boring B2B offer. Because again, if it's something that you feel like is going to help you in your day, even if you're not at work right now, you're at home, you know, before bed or sitting on the couch, just kind of scrolling through your feed, you know, vegging out. If something feels relevant and it feels like something that's going to make your job better, it's going to make you more successful. That's relevant, right? That's engaging. Even right. if the image wasn't terribly um, fun, even if it wasn't, you know, cats dancing around or, or, you know, you know, fun young people, you know, sitting on, on camera. Um, it's still relevant. People will click it. Um, I think many times what we've shown the data to show is that people won't necessarily even convert on that first click because they're thinking, oh, this is relevant, but, you know, it's nine o'clock at night. I'm really not interested in filling out this form right now. Um, and we've been trying to, I've spoken to a lot of people over the years about their behavior and, and, and also try and pay, pay attention to my own behavior. What I think a lot of people do is they'll actually, you know, forward it to themselves. They'll copy the link off the ad and just like email it to themselves to open the next day in the office. So uh, there was a time a couple of years ago where Facebook actually gave us the data to see, you know, what was the the click device and what was the conversion dev device. And what we often saw, and this was, you know, very data backed is that the initial impression and click would happen on a mobile device, but then the conversion device was actually on desktop um, the next morning that people would convert there. So, so something relevant because it's going to help them be successful at work will grab people even when they're not in work mode on social. Um, and it will compete with, you know, all those, you know, potentially more fun and engaging type of, of, of media. Right. Um, but ultimately what's going to work is just something that's, that feels like it has product market fit, that it feels like it, um, is going to help you. And, and, and I think pretty importantly, it, it should be some kind of a unique offer. Um, and, and by unique, it might be, you know, let's say you're a CRM, but you know, you're a CRM specifically for healthcare companies or a CRM specifically for construction companies, right? Um, and, and in those situations, that's unique. You're not pipe driver CRM or HubSpot, which is, you know, just a CRM for everybody. Right. right. So by calling out your unique, unique um, target audience that you're going to help, you know, that's being unique by, by, um, I mean, there's an, a million ways you, you can, you can make your offer stand out. Um, and generally when, when an offer is more generic, we find it harder to actually make it work. Right. But if we have a client that is selling something, um, that's a little bit more unique, um, that can stand out in some way as a special twist on it, then that's generally going to be more successful. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, definitely standing out because the, the market is, is crowded. Yeah. 
How do we balance like entertaining ads versus educational? Is there a balance there or do we try both? and see what the audience likes. Listen, my feeling is try everything, right? If you can combine those two things, I think that's the best. If you, if you can do, you know, entertaining and educational at the same time, well, then, you know, that's usually going to be a win. Um, I think if I had one or the other, I would, I would want a clear message that clearly grabs the right person that speaks to the right person and tells them, here's what we have to offer you and why it's going to make your life better, right? I'd rather have that clear message boring than a weaker message exciting, Right. Um, so that's, that's kind of the way that we look at it. And, and we study a lot of ads. We're looking at, you know, what are other B2B companies doing? What are direct to consumer companies doing? And, and how can we iterate off that? I've at this point got a swipe file of, you know, probably thousands of different ad screenshots and, and videos that I've downloaded over the years. And every time we're trying to come up with, with, you know, new ideas for our clients, you know, let's jump into the swipe file. Let's see what's in there already. How can we adapt these different things? Send these over to the design team, send them over to the copywriting team and just see, you know, how can we, how can we do that? And I think having a good swipe file of ads that you like um, yes. is one of the best ways to just spark creativity um, because you know if we can uh, if we can borrow from other smart marketers um, rather than recreating the wheel every time I think makes things go a lot more successfully and a lot more easily and more quickly definitely yeah that's something that everybody should have and we've kept one for quite a few years yeah. and it is just invaluable I mean it's it's a lot different than just staring at a blank screen going okay well, what do we do now but yeah when you can take 100%. that and I like that with videos as well, be able to, to watch a video and then break down, you know, what do they do at the beginning, the middle, the end, what's the hook? And, yeah. and you, you kind of deconstruct that framework. Okay. How do I plug my content into a framework that we know has been successful? Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of times we've also got, you know, copywriting templates that we use and we know that we can, you know, we've got you know, 40 different copywriting templates that we use for our clients. And, you know, we try and figure out with it, depending on the client we're working on and what market they're in, et cetera. Um, you know, which one of these do we think is going to apply to this client? Where, how could we fit their marketing message into this template? And we just test a bunch of them and we know which ones have worked in the past, which ones don't. And we say, hang on to those and, and being able to iterate off our own past experience and also off, like we said, creators and other companies are, are doing, you know, we'll grab somebody else's copy and throw it into our, our template as well and, and work that and tweak that as well. Yeah. I like that. So I thought it was really smart in retargeting um, get prospects. So they haven't converted yet, but they filled out a form. And so their leads, a lot of times that's where people stop. They're like, all yeah. right, I got the lead now marketing stops, but you're actually retargeting them, but it's not necessarily the same ad. Maybe they go into a different ad campaign. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That it keeps them warm. Right. So typically we'll have, you know, a top of funnel campaign and a retargeting campaign at the very basics, depending on the amount of traffic that a company's getting. But at, at the very basic level, we, we've got, you know, top of funnel cold traffic and we've got, you know, a retargeting layer. Um, in retargeting, we'll often use many of the same ads that worked at the top of the funnel. Um, but we, if we can, depending on the audience sizes, et cetera, well, we will try to segment retargeting into people who have already converted as lead. People haven't tried haven't yet converted as a lead, right? Um, so that way the people who who have not yet become leads, but they did click and visit the website or watch the video or engage in some other way that we could retarget them, you know, we're still retargeting them with the same message at the top of the funnel um, just to kind of get them to complete that first step. Um, and in that case, we might still use the same creatives, but we'll want to rotate always more creatives in there as well. I think where we can have more fun is the retargeting the people who have yet to, who have already filled out a lead form. Um, and, and those are the people that we want to have all those different types of content that we said before, you know, from testimonials, case studies, white pages, sometimes it's, you know, get started list just so they can understand how this process works, how easily can they get started and integrated into the new software or something like that. Um, and, and sometimes we'll use those in, in retargeting people who have not yet converted as, as a lead also, because if someone's expressed interest by clicking on a lead, visiting a landing page, something like that, um, and they haven't yet converted even as a lead, we also want them to just kind of build that know, like, and trust and that affinity and understand our brand and our culture and all the reasons that we're so great um, at that level. And, and, and one of the important things just while we're on, on retargeting is, is the idea that one can start with retargeting. If you've got another, a lot of other marketing channels that, that work for your company, Interesting. Google search is working, you know, outbound cold email is working for you. Partnerships are working. Any other method that's bringing in quality traffic, you're growing your business, you're getting quality leads and visitors to the website. You can turn on the retargeting layer without even thinking about prospecting on paid social. And, and I think that's a really easy win for a lot of companies. You know, think about Google search. You know, a lot of companies are paying $30, $50 a click for meaningful keywords, right? 
And right. most B2B right. buyers are not going to convert on that first click. And they're potentially going to click on a couple of different companies. They're considering different things. But you know that Google search traffic is, is smoking hot, right? They came right. looking for CRM software or whatever the thing they're looking for. Like they're in a, they have an intent as a buyer right now. So, you know, to be running retargeting to those people should be a no brainer for like every company, like hit those people up as much as you can. Cause you've invested so much to get them the first time, you know, you need to push them over the finish line sometimes to, con- to complete the, the lead form, to get them onto a meeting, whatever the next step is that you're trying to push them through that pipeline. Right. Um, and so in doing that, retargeting ads is, is one of the easiest way. And, and I would recommend everybody who's got traffic and, and it's good traffic, LinkedIn ad retargeting, meta retargeting, possibly Twitter retargeting also depending on your, on your audience, low budgets. You don't need to be, terribly active in a campaign that's just running retargeting. It doesn't have to be iterated and creatives don't have to change that frequently, but just make sure you've got meaningful content that you believe will help somebody to, to overcome whatever objections they have about doing business with you all in that retargeting funnel. Um, again, that's, that's even if you're not running top of funnel on paid social. It's really, really smart because it increases that no like and trust factor. So exactly. you're, you're part of the consideration set now and they're, they're evaluating the options and they keep yeah. seeing you over and over and over. Yeah. And I think and, it just, it just warms them. And, and just think about the fact that your customer, your competitors might be doing that. Right. right. So imagine if they clicked on, on your Google ad and someone else's Google ad and your competitors running all this retargeting, who do you think is going to get the sale? It's probably not you. So if you look at it from that point of view, like you're just wasting those Google search dollars potentially by letting people click and spend your money. And then they're going to go and convert with your competitor. So you should be doing everything you can just like we spoke about with, with sales follow-up with retargeting. Also, you got to be doing whatever you can to follow up with all those high intent visitors. Yeah. All the more reason we need a great agency uh, to be looking out for us in this process, because it is a lot more complicated than just getting in there and running an ad and going, hey, uh, I put it up. What happened? I definitely think a great agency could be quite helpful in, in, these, yeah. in these ways. So what is it that makes a great agency? How do we know when we find one? Sure. I mean, I, I think a great agency is one who has a similar culture that you drive with, just a, a team that you could work well with. But I mean, that's the most important, I don't know if it's the most important, it's one of the most important things. Yes, just because, I agree. You know, hopefully you'll be working closely with them and, and you'll have an agency with a team that'll work closely with you and take a lot of interest in you, right? So, I mean, A, you want to have an agency that has experience in your industry. Well, it doesn't have to be your industry per se, but at least your business model. So, you know, I right. see, you know, B2B generally has very similar business models. I mean, sometimes there's product-led and there's sales-led. Um, that's kind of two different models, but, um, within, within that, you know, whether you're targeting construction companies or healthcare, the, mo- the, the way we do things is, is pretty similar. We just have to change the copy and, and the offer a little bit, but that that's easy. Right. So I think, I think somebody that understands, you know, B2B and SaaS marketing is going to be pretty critical. You don't want to hire an agency that specializes most of their clients in e-commerce or, you know, leads for plumbers or, or something like that. Right. Um, and then, I would also make sure that you're working with an agency that that isn't necessarily handing you off to a junior team. That that there are going to be senior strategists that that stay involved with your campaign all the time. You know, no one should have the expectation unless you're hiring a freelancer or a very very small agency that you know the owner or face of the company is always going to be hands on. You know, pushing the buttons on your campaign every day. There is usually going to be an account manager, but you want somebody senior on the strategy level who is paying attention to your to your account. Right. It's yes. going to be in there at least, you know, a couple of times a week, taking a peek, making sure everything's running smoothly on on calls with the clients, with, with you know, the SaaS companies and, and really just making sure that the uh, the strategy, the top and all oversight is happening by a senior person that really knows what's going on, um, because an agency really should be an extension of your marketing team. And that's been one of the best compliments that we've ever had um, is that, you know, clients have said we feel like an extension of their marketing team. And we try to intimately know their company as well as we can to understand their messaging, their processes. You know, we're inside their CRM. You know, we're trying to get a sense from their sales team of, you know, what's working. It's not like, hey, we sent you, you know, 500 leads this month and they were all crap and you closed one deal and, you know, that one deal closed at $50,000 or something. Well, that's not doing anybody any favors. Right. So, you know, we, we try to think about things as about like, well, if we work for this company, if I was the owner of my client's company, how would I feel about the process that's going on and what would I want from an agency? Wow. That is a fantastic answer. Well, where can people learn more about you and about Zamo online? Sure. So I think the best place where I put the most content out right now is my LinkedIn profile. So definitely feel free to, to follow me on, on LinkedIn, but you could also check out the agency website at zamodigital.com or my personal blog, which also hosts my podcast at aaronzakowski.com. That's right. Tell me about the podcast, SaaS Marketing Superstars. 
That's right. So SaaS Marketing Superstars, I started the podcast at the beginning of COVID um, just because, you know, we needed something to do while we we're stuck at home, right? Um, <laughs> but it's been a lot of fun. I've been interviewing uh, marketing leaders at a lot of great companies. I think we're about 30 episodes in at this point. Um, and it's been a lot of fun just interviewing really smart B2B and SaaS marketers about, you know, what are the... What are the strategies that are working for them at different points and, and, you know, trying to be as actionable as possible so that, you know, the listeners can really learn from the success of the other companies. That's great. We'll make sure and link that in the show notes and everybody should go check out Aaron's blog. It is a uh, really good content and, and what he puts up on LinkedIn, uh, follow him and uh, and connect with him. So that is really that. good stuff. So it's been a great conversation. Really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah. Thanks Jeff. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Aaron, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. It's always helpful to hear a unique perspective on different ad platforms. He made me think differently about lead quality and lead quantity. I mean, that was absolute gold. One of my favorite things about Aaron is that he just blows up the myth that founders have to choose between business and family. You know, it's not an either or. I mean, do it right. You can become awesome in both. And Aaron is a great example of that. So love having conversations with him. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. If you're getting value and love hearing from people like Aaron, like or follow us at sassfuel.com. And be sure to check out the new YouTube channel for video versions of the podcast, shorts, and some bonus content. Everyone who subscribes this week will get a set of server farm to table salad tongs, adding a touch of tech whimsy to your dining experience. Come back next Tuesday where our founder is Nate Grayek, founder of Sticky, a SaaS that helps creatives book more clients. Nate is also bringing his decade or so of bootstrappy SaaS experience to help us founders reimagine our approach to marketing, go deeper, and unlock predictable growth without weird stuff and cringy ads. And on our SaaS Fuel Expert series, we have Z Jeremic founder and CEO of Mass Engines, which maps and automates the customer journey to increase deal velocity and closure, enabling enterprises to optimize lead flow and transform their funnel. We'll see you next time. Happy Father's Day to everyone, and God grant us the grace to contend fearlessly against evil and to make no peace with oppression. Happy Juneteenth, y'all. Enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sassfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!